Hello, listener, and welcome to the latest episode of Michigan Soccer Central, your uh, hub for all things soccer in the Great Lakes State from all levels and trying to focus on all the different angles and lenses to view the great game from. I'm, like always, Robert Kerr, your host of Michigan Soccer, Soccer Central, and with me, we're getting a full dose of them lately, uh, Michigan Soccer Central's official uh, scout on staff, Brooks Lambeer. How's it going tonight, sir? I'm good, Rob. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. Like I said uh, to our special guest, uh, it's the, 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 the best part of a very busy day. And speaking of which, and speaking of looking at soccer from a different lens, joining us tonight, we have a, spares, a pair of special guests We've brought in active Michigan referees. Please welcome Tyler Gregory and Michaela Hawkins. Hello, guys. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you, doing, guys? Doing great. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on such uh, a busy time. Brightest day of the year. Lots of soccer going on, and it seems like we're all back at work. Got lots of projects on our hands. And so we kind of uh, hitting all the, the soccer headlines, but... We kind of go around the grounds, and while we have you guys on the line, um, I know I only went to, because my youth coaching seasons have ended, I only went to one game, uh, Oakland County FC hosting uh, the Dayton Dutch Lions on Friday night, and we can talk about OCFC later. Tyler, you had a full boat of games from youth on up uh, the ranks to the the, uh, adults. Um, Tell me how your weekend went, and if it was just... Was there a midweek days leading up to it as well? Uh, so during the week, I would say last, um, I spent, I think, two nights last week doing MUSL matches, which is just a, an amateur men's league here in Michigan. And then I opened the weekend off on Friday um, as the center referee for a UPSL match between Bafana United and Hamtramck City. Uh, it was at Keyworth Stadium down in Hamtramck. Uh, and then Saturday, I was the fourth official for the DCFC match at Keyworth as well. And then Sunday, I got to be the center referee for a Midwest Premier League game between Livonia City and Lansing Common. To be frank, it was a relatively smooth weekend. The games all went really well. It doesn't always happen, but it was uh, graceful that... There wasn't anything extremely interesting, but we can talk about them if you'd like. Yeah, um, so uh, I guess if that was a smooth weekend, it was just in what way? Uh, you blew the whistle, people acknowledged that it was a good call and moved on like a dozen games? <laughs> yeah, let's, uh, let's essentially for UPSL games, uh, because of so many different ethnicities and cultures and backgrounds that a lot of the teams and players are coming from, uh, temperatures tend to get very high very easily. Um, fortunately enough, though, uh, for the UPSL game last Friday, I would say I was able to manage to keep the temperatures relatively low. Kind of a unique situation when that happens, uh, but it was nice and graceful that I think I got through the game with only one yellow card and uh, the result of like 3-0. So pretty thankful for that. And then for the UWS match on Saturday... Uh, DCFC ended up losing three to two, uh, which the cards and uh, disciplinary actions needed in the game did not reflect such a tight score because 
It was relatively peaceful the whole match. Um, as the fourth official, I think I might have had to talk to head coach of the DCFC team once. Their opposing side, uh, Grand Rapids, I don't think I even talked to at all. Not every weekend that, that happens. Again, like I was saying, uh, usually there's a lot more that you have to deal with at games like this. And then for the Midwest Premier League game on Sunday, the uh, the two teams I was expecting to be a little bit more competitive with each other. The final result was uh, two two to one. Um, I know it's a competitive scoreline, however, for probably seventy minutes of the game, it was simply dominated by by uh, Lansing until Livonia scored a late goal and kind of really started to push the push the back line of Lansing into their into their own side. And unfortunately, they weren't really able to tie it up and press press any harder but like I was saying graceful weekend I think I maybe gave one card that game for just a simple uh delaying a restart and that was about it not much management was necessary and pretty thankful for that you sound like a lot of a lot of uh uh almost relief in uh your voice saying that uh so do you kind of go into a, a game with the anxiety that it might go the other way you just got to always be prepared. You have to go into the match uh, expecting to deal with things that you might not think to expect for. Um, you never really know what the players and uh, coaches have kind of gone through that day or week um, or even sometimes throughout the rest of their matches in the previous season. So uh, sometimes they have some built-up hostility that they're getting ready to throw out on you, and you just got to kind of be ready for that when you go onto the pitch as the official. That's interesting. Um, Michaela, I want to bring you in. Um, you said you, you were off this last weekend, but what does a typical weekend look look like for you? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I, I took a little bit of a break this weekend, did um, some relaxing that hasn't been done in a while. But before that, I had six straight weekends in a row of um, probably about uh, four to six games minimum every weekend. Um, for me, I was doing a lot of um, uh, mentorship roles this uh, spring, doing a lot of um, younger games in the youth level that I maybe wouldn't have done necessarily in a normal season, but um, playing a little bit of a mentorship role um, and helping out some assigners with the you know big ref shortage we were seeing this spring, um, things that I maybe would have been a little more selective of in past seasons, you know, you got to help the signers do them some favors and, you know, you're still making some extra money, but, you know, giving back to the game and some of those younger level referees that you, you know, so to speak may have moved on to other bigger, more competitive matches, dipping back into that just to kind of help out them, help the game, you know, kind of progress and things like that. Um, That was a lot of what I did this, this spring primarily. Um, And now we're shifting to summer where we have kind of the, you know, amateur games here and there, things like that. I got a couple UWS games on my schedule as well as a couple MPSL, things like that. Um, some of the things that Tyler was touching on I have coming up this summer, but took a little bit of a break this this weekend, trying not to be so so busy on top of, uh, you know, normal 40-plus hour work week, things like that. That's an incredible workload. Um, you guys have both uh, given me a lot to chew on, um, Regarding just like the, the, the what goes into it uh, through a weekend in general, um, Brooks, um, w- what do you have f- for the for our guests? 
That's a question for both of you. You guys don't do the pro game correctly. You guys just do amateur in the summer. Do you guys do college in yes, the fall? Yes, both of us do college as well. Yes, that's correct. D1, NAIA, or all levels? Uh, mostly WAC and NAIA um, for, for me personally. I still have yet to do a D1 game, uh, but uh, NAIA schools and JUCO schools, uh, D2, D3, NCAA schools, uh, but D1 still yet to come. Mm-hmm. I guess for me, for my my question is just since you guys have kind of you know climbed the ladder a bit, you know you you started out you know at, obviously at the youth level where everyone else starts, and then you climb the ladder and you get the older age groups and you get into the high school and then the more important games for the youth and into the amateur stuff in college. I guess what what's more difficult for you guys? Do you find uh, for for a level to ref youth or college? I would say it's pretty rough to find a very difficult youth game. Uh, I think as you get a little bit older, and at least for me, um, kind of into my early 20s, youth games became more of a breeze, it seemed. Um, and at that point, it starts to become, uh, as a younger referee, how do you manage men or women playing the game? Uh, because you've got quite a bit of experience in your belt and dealing with like kids and children and how they uh, they are they're playing and how their tempers are are throughout the match. Um, the, I would say the most difficult thing ever, if it arises, is dealing with coaches and, and parents uh, in, in youth matches. But as far as an official, you try to avoid as much as you possibly can dealing with uh, situations like that. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would mostly agree with that. I think, you know, for the youth game, a lot of what you're dealing with more than just the game, you know, a foul is a foul no matter – what level you're really looking at for most, the most part, but you know, you deal with a lot of more parents and, and coaches and teaching moments for kids, I think more than anything in the youth game. Um, whereas, you know, as they're older, they, they, you know, they know how to play, they know what they're doing. And I think I speak for both Tyler and myself. Uh, we both played through college. So, you know, knowing the game and then transferring it to a referee standpoint, I think the game experience Tyler and I have had as players is helpful, you know, having that transformative state onto the field as an official understanding, you know, what players may or may not want um, and trying to just read the game better, uh, especially at that higher level is important. That's no, it's interesting. And, you know, Tyler, you kind of touched on comments and well, both of you did a little bit on just the comments from, parents and coaches and how it changes a bit sometimes, you know, going up in levels. Um, Just do you guys feel that, you know, comments from parents just get worse every year? You know, the stuff you hear is, does it get worse from year to year? Is it the same? Is it, you know, is it interesting on what they say sometimes? Is it, you know, I'm just curious on your opinions on that. Um, Yeah. I mean, personally for me, I feel like see that I I don't necessarily, I think I may be just more aware of it as the years go on. Um, I think that I, I do believe that there has been a change in, um, you know, youth sports over the years. There's a lot more pressure for kids and expectations that parents hold. And understandably there's a lot more money involved in youth sports um, and that continues to get to be something that's more expensive. You know, there's the pressure to play at a high level, be on the best club so that you can, you know, maybe get the best offer for college and things like that. Um, and so I think there's a, a lot at the higher level of youth, a lot more pressure for, for the kids and, 
you know, that maybe parents do or don't put on their children versus what coaches are expected to do. You know, youth, youth soccer has increased with revenue and, and the culture of it over the years. And I think that translates onto what you, you see on the field. Um, now, like I said, whether that's something that's actually true or whether it's something that I feel I'm just more aware of might be something that's there as well. But um, that's, that's at least what I feel. Something I've noticed is I feel like, uh, let's talk parent issues, uh, seem to be something that is uh, oftentimes club-based or consistent. And it just seems like uh, certain organizations sometimes deal with things and some others don't. Uh, some people, you know, feel like it's okay and others don't. Um, as referees, I certainly uh, can tell you firsthand, like, uh, some of the abuse is is not. <laughs> and so I think in the, the last few years, we've gotten some great amounts of support from certain local clubs and others not. And I think the rest of them all kind of need to jump on the wagon there and, and join them because uh, like you guys know, and Michaela had mentioned earlier, uh, referee numbers are really struggling. And so anything to really help boost that, that uh, back up, I mean, needs to be, needs to be implemented, not for the sake of just, referees but for the sport and kids as well i mean yeah i mean listen i sit on the sidelines and you know obviously as tyler knows you know me from uh, lawrence tech and you know as a scout you know i i mean he sees me in all the games and i'm sure michaela we've probably crossed paths a few times um just haven't met in person and you know i mean i i mean i I cross paths with a lot of referees at the youth and college level and this year was interesting because I got to sit. I got to sit more on the sidelines with just how the spring games went for college soccer. Um, but you know, obviously, I scout amongst the youth parents, and you know, it's kind of listening is into what they say, and because sometimes the unnecessary verbiage towards you guys, I just, I just feels like it's just over, over, just it's overdone too much, in my opinion. Um, you know, especially when it's just repetitive and repetitive and. I mean, there's been some games where the sideline referees, you know, have to go to the coach of the team and tell the parents to shut up, you know, stop saying that or you're going to be kicked out of the out of the facility. So, you know, I've, I've always been curious about that. And I guess the one other thing I've really kind of my follow up question to how you guys responded with that is just, um, I mean, listen, coaches get intense. You know, I was a youth coach and obviously as a, you know, a collegiate assistant coach at Lawrence Tech and, you know, uh, I've just seen some over the years where coaches just kind of beat a dead horse, you know, after a call and they won't let it go. And, you know, they kind of give it to you at halftime and then after the game. And I guess for me, just between the parents and the coaches, like, do you sometimes feel like things border on verbal abuse and, and what's too far for a coach and a parent to, to say in public or to you guys personally, where it just borders on verbal abuse? Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I mean, like I said, we all understand that the game is, you know, very passionate, even at the youth level, like there's reason to be excited about it, to get fired up about things and stuff like that. But, you know, when it gets to a point where there's parents calling a referee, like, insane, or, you know, threatening them verbally, or telling them that they'll meet them in the parking lot after the game for, for something, especially at the youth level, you know, that's just that's just some crazy stuff in my opinion that uh, a parent or a coach is taking something that on a on a base level 
is supposed to be, you know, development for players and supposed to be fun and all of this other stuff about character building and and growing as a person and as a player, you know, and then it turns into some model where these players and coaches, or I'm sorry, that these players are seen parents and coaches that are supposed to be responsible role models for them, you know, not only behaving in an irresponsible way, but trying to turn a referee into a scapegoat for a situation. That's when it's, I think, frustrating for me as just a previous player standpoint and being around the game for as long as I have, you know, soccer was my whole life growing up. And obviously I still am involved in it for, you know, refereeing purposes, but I didn't, and occasional fun leaks playing myself, but I just think it does the game a disservice at some point. Um, and that's, that's when it's like kind of a shame to shame to see from my perspective. So going on to a more positive note, uh, I've, what is it about uh, refereeing? Because you said that you have a, a you know full time day job, and as we all do, and we're do, we're doing this because you know we're we want to further the game, and we we have something about us has, is driving us to you know care and do more than just play soccer. So w- what is the positive side like? What what's like the the high point? What gives you the, like what's the thrill in your position as referee? Um, well, for me personally, you know, I really do love to be around the game still, you know, like I said, you know, not playing anymore at a competitive level and it's an excuse to be around that environment and, you know, see good soccer and good players. And sometimes you'll even see players throughout the years and their development. And that's really, you know, cool to see them, them grow and you establish relationships with players and coaches and fellow referees that, you know, are just another aspect brought together by the game itself. Um, so I think that for me is really fulfilling. Um, and it, it's something fun. It's a, it's a little bit of forced exercise, in, in my opinion, as well, um, which it's, you know, gets you an excuse to get outside, enjoy the weather and um, run around a little bit and be still be a part of, you know, the game of soccer as it's developing over the years. So that's, that's what I love about it. Have you ever had to, uh, like hold in a gasp or something if a player's done something? Amazing? <laughs> yeah. I think especially when I'm, um, an assistant referee, I find that I'm, <laughs> uh, totally, uh, in awe sometimes and totally making comments about how beautiful a shot might be if it goes in the goal upper 90, you know, I feel like you got to sometimes <laughs> it's just appreciation of the game. <laughs> so same question to you, uh, Thank you, uh, Michaela. Same question to you, Tyler, about like, well, what's like, is there like a goosebumps moment of refereeing or what's the, what's the drive for you to spend, your, you know, your your own personal time to, to do refereeing? So, uh, like like Michaela said, it was always been something that you just love, uh, love to do. You love to be out there, love to give back, um, love to be a part of the game. Um, when I first started, when I was younger, uh, it was really kind of to make some extra money. <laughs> Uh, you know, it was an easy way to make cash. You could pick your own schedule. It was an easy, easy thing for me to do. I was relatively decent at it because I played. Um, and then as I kind of, uh, started to do it more and more, I started to enjoy doing, uh, you know, more serious games, more competitive games, uh, better players, better teams. Um, and from there it kind of grew to a point where I started to realize I was a I hate to admit it, but a better referee than I was a player. And uh, 
was just something that I started to push myself at. And um, just like uh, when you're when you're young and you're a player and you want to want to get better and you want to play at a certain level, uh, same with refereeing. You start to just work harder. You start to try more. Uh, you start to really push to, to get better assignments and uh, do the best that you can and learn as much as possible, soak in as much as possible, and go from there. Oh, that's uh, that, that's a great answer. Thank you very much for that insight, Tyler. I just had kind of a general curiosity before we get to like kind of bigger questions. What is uh, all of the role or the, the, the duties of a fourth official? You're the chewing toy for the coaches so they don't shred the center referee. Oh, so the, the, is that in the official? Uh, <laughs> no, it's not. That's just so I was just saying it's in the law book. You just have to look that up. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> subsection three or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah something like that. But, uh, okay. So, so stepping back a little bit. Um, so what, what is the, 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 the certification or the levels that you guys are at called and, um, kind of how does that, that process work of like being able to achieve to, to go up, like you said, Tyler, like, following uh kind of like the skill level up like what has to happen for that progression to to go forward and yeah where are you at and what are the steps beyond i guess so for me personally a lot a lot of it was uh exposure so in general um you everyone starts out at this entry level um grassroots referee position um they recently u.s soccer changed some of the I would say the classifications of it within the last year or two, it used to be that you started at a a grade nine and it went in reverse order and you would find grade ones and twos to be those at the FIFA and pro levels. Um, But they've kind of readjusted how they named it, things like that. Um, Essentially, you know, for, for our purposes, um, it really comes down to exposure um, as well as age, uh, you know, when they're, when you're starting up at a certain point, you can't be, I believe it's like age 18 is a cutoff for one of the classifications in order to move up. You can't be that until you're age 18. But, um, a lot of it just has to do with the amount of time you've been a referee as well as, um, exposure and connections you've made with, uh, assigners and higher level state administrators. And then also at a certain point you have to pass a physical fitness test. Um, in order to uh, continue moving up, um, as well as assessments where you actually have um, uh, like national referee coaches come out and um, or those that are certified, I guess it doesn't necessarily have to be someone with a national referee coach level, but they come out and watch you and you are assessed and critiqued um, and they can pass or fail you to go on to the next level. Um, and that's kind of, you know, a, a Cliff Notes version of how for the processes essentially work. Oh, that was fantastically detailed. Um, if you don't mind sharing, like, I guess how far along in that process are you and like, how far do you want to go? Yeah. So for me, I've always said that like, I'll take it as far as I, I can. I mean, I definitely enjoy it. Um, before the uh, shift in classifications, I was a grade seven pursuing my grade six, which um, like I said, you start at a nine and work up from there. Um, so now they kind of chunked together the seven through nine grade level. Um, and the grade six is, and is now called a, uh, regional referee. Um, so I'm at the high level of that grassroots still pursuing the regional, um, due to 
COVID and some other, you know, certifications and life things, I kind of put it on a pause, but that is still an active pursuit. Um, and I've actually dipped into some of the other side of things and am a beginner level referee mentor now. So I'm certified to teach uh, beginner level classes and things like that. Um, I'm actually scheduled to help teach a class next week. Uh, so that's that's another direction I'm um, diving into a little bit and would like to pursue as well as not only the officiating side, but the teaching mentorship side. Before we switch it back to Tyler, I had to, I wanted to pursue the, the education side um, real quick since you mentioned that. Um, so what, 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 other than like the rules, um, I guess I'm more interested in like behavioral things. Tyler mentioned it earlier as far as like trying to, to keep temperatures low and stuff like that. I guess like what sort of uh, things can be, uh, is in a ref's hands um, to kind of like manage emotions like that? Yeah, yeah. So I think personality of the individual, individual referee is a big, big factor in that, um, you know, we're taught that there are certain things you can or can't do you know people say use use a sense of humor or you need a more authoritative approach or things like that but you know it really comes down to game management I think is so unique person to person what works for me in a situation might not work for Tyler or the next person or you know this another referee doing that same game in the same situation etc um, so there's, there's certain things I think that you learn over the years that would or wouldn't be a good idea. Some people like to manage games with, with cards. Some people like to management with just talking to players. Um, and some use a combination of both, uh, whether one is right or wrong. It really just depends on each game situation, I think, um, in my opinion. And there's, there's risk associated with that as well, you know. There might be a situation where you decide to not give a card to a player and just decide to kind of chew him out. Um, and then he still might be making poor decisions the rest of the game. And there's sometimes where that talking to might be just all you need and you don't have any issues the rest of the game. Um, so temperature management, player management is a really big, big aspect, especially as you're you know, doing more competitive games. I think sometimes the management is what makes or breaks the game rather than what you do or don't call that's interesting and you said there's pros and cons to both like uh, like the tactics you mentioned to kind of uh manage emotion you said there's kind of like pitfalls of both possibly yeah yeah so like i mean for example if there was a situation where you decided to give a player a yellow card you know now that player is sitting on a yellow card and they do one something else even something that's a tactical um, offense that like stopping a promising attack that then requires a yellow card by the laws of the game um, you know then you you have a player uh, ejected from the game whereas you know maybe you could have taken that first yellow card offense for whatever it is you know this is a very general example um, and maybe talk to him about it and been a very public display of telling him to you know, not do whatever he was doing or, or warn him verbally and publicly for all to see, you know, there's different choices that I think we as referees make that may or may not have a bigger impact on the game. Um, and in terms of the risk, I mean, if you give that player a yellow card in whatever this imaginary situation is, and then they make a decision later that needs a yellow card, then you have gotten rid of a player and a team has to play with 10 the rest of the game where, maybe you could have made a different decision 
and maybe that player could have finished the game and we would have had 22 players on the field at the end of the game. You know, like I said, rough example, but, you know, just something that is all perspective idea. The, you know, decisions are made and whether they're right or wrong, there's gray area for a lot of things as well. But how you manage the game can can have a big impact on the game itself. So, yeah, we're all people. Uh, not everyone reacts to the same tactics uh, the same way is what you're telling me. Yeah, essentially. And I mean, you know, you could find a player or even a referee on that example on a, a good or bad day, and that could change a lot of stuff too, you know. You could have a, a kid at the youth level who maybe just found out they failed a test, and then they go and play out the soccer game, and they're mad at the world. Um, and then you have a referee who, you know, normally might not be a hothead, but had a terrible day at work. And so they're in a terrible mood as well. Um, and that changes how they're going to officiate the game. You know, we all try and black out other worldly things, but the reality is we're all humans and we all have other stuff going on too. So, you know, the mental capacity of <laughs> what you do or don't do can shift. And there's a lot of factors, you know, in this experiment of the game, if you know, if you will, you got people of all different levels and backgrounds and day-to-day lives. And you got different officials with different game experiences and different management techniques. And, you know, that's what makes it fun is you never really know what you're going to get, but you know, that's what makes every game a little bit different too. Thank you, uh, Michaela. Tyler, um, could you add your perspective uh, to that uh, uh, conversation about um, what cards or not necessarily cards, bad word. Um, what tactics uh, you have at your disposal or how you can interact um, that can affect a game or manage a game? Kind of like Michaela noted, I think something really important to understand is that not every player is going to react uh, sometimes like you'd expect them to or similar to the other players on the field. Um, as you do more and more games as a referee, you begin to develop more and more experience on um, how to ease into feeling um, essentially how players are going to react and also uh, what might be the best solution then to go forward with dealing that, dealing with that. Um, whether it be with cars, whether it be talking with them quietly, loudly, um, how many free chances are you going to give them type thing. Uh, that as well. I mean, even knowing like foul selection as well. I mean, that, I would definitely say file selection changes big time. <laughs> uh, just last night, I was doing a, an MUSL game, which happened to be an over 48 game. Now, certainly the files at this level are going to be way different than what I'm calling in a college game. Uh, I, mean, I mean, if one guy steps on one other person's foot, I mean, all hell is breaking loose, and I might have an, a 48-year-old guy punch another guy that's 50 uh, just because he stepped on his foot type thing, which is something that happens in almost every challenge in a college match. Uh, so reading the game, reading the players, and uh, a way I like to kind of think of it is uh, as the referee, you're kind of there to serve the players and uh, serve the game and make everything as best as possible. Um, and a way to do that is uh, kind of be or think of the players as like customers uh, and you're trying to sell them something. So you're on the field as the official selling them a good product and how uh, are you going to make your customers at the end of the day or the end of the match the happiest? My question for both of you, and <clears throat> Tyler, you can start with this one, is, and then Michaela, you can follow up, is I guess just from a ref's perspective, um, you know, what are a few things that you guys would like to see changed within the game? Now, obviously, laws change all the time. You know, 
and ball, the handball law, and then the offsides were always changes. And then obviously the stuff with concussions that's been brought in with, you know, head injuries and making sure the players are safe. But are there certain things or laws within the game that need to be changed a bit, um, updated or need to be improved? As for laws of the game that I think need to be uh, fixed or improved, um, I would say the handball uh changes that were just made last year need to be modified a bit more. Um, I think what they did was very good in providing uh, situational clarification, which in a sense makes it really easy for referees. Um, however, the problem is that it's so much different than what's been expected the last you know, decade. And uh, so a lot of players at every level still don't understand. Um, and, and a way to maybe move forward with this change and for the good of soccer would be that uh, players, parents, coaches that are going to continue to play the game become educated on such, on such changes and resources uh, so that it can be a, a tad easier on officials um, when implementing these changes as uh, made governed um, more smoothly. Okay. How so? I guess to follow up before Michaela goes, how, how what's the best way to educate parents and coaches then? Because you're not just give them a rule book and they're going to read read the rules. What's what's the best way to educate them? Maybe tryout weekends. Parents join in on like a little session that the club hosts, and they just kind of go over the laws of the game and uh, what they uh, should expect from referees and what referees are sort of expecting from them. Interesting. Michaela? Yeah, I mean, I think that'd be an interesting point that Tyler just brought up, like just a little brief overview. I mean, obviously, like we're supposed to go through a recertification class every year. But on that same note, like for any law changes, they just kind of give us a short synopsis as well for, you know, depending on the level, of course, they know that whoever's teaching classes know their audience, essentially. But, you know, just be like, hey, this these are the changes. These are what's different. This is what we thought it was before. This is what's expected now. And there's going to be a learning curve for sure. But, you know, just, just so everyone's on the same page a little bit, at least an effort to be on the same page, I guess. I don't know if we ever will fully be on the same page, which is fine to an extent, I'm sure. But you know, just understanding that things are changing every year. And I think that's something that even, you know, a couple of weeks ago, even though this rule has been in place for, I think, at least a year now, you know, we still have parents and players being upset because what used to be a handball before might not be the same way now. Um, and I mean, I get it. It's, all, it's changed so much and it changes every year, all of these different rules. But, you know, IFAB is constantly trying to, make adjustments as the game calls for them. Um, so, I mean, I know it definitely won't be the last rule changes we see. Uh, I think, you know, they're already reinstating changes for next year. Um, so maybe the best way is to kind of put on a little little presentation of continuing education for, for players and parents because, you know, referees have to go through continuing education every year. Coaches on licensing have to, you know, be up to date on what, what is changing in soccer. So, I feel like it'd be nice to try to hold players and parents accountable to some level as well. Do you feel that at times being a female referee, it's, it's a bit tougher when refereeing male matches. I mean, listen, when, from the stands, when I scout sometimes, or, you know, from what I've heard sometimes from coaches, Oh, we have a female ref. Oh, geez. Like, 
you know, not to say they're sexist, but you know, you know what I mean? Like, no, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it is to an extent. I mean, I'm not definitely not here to say, you know, I should be treated any different for being female for sure. There, you know, this is something that the culture of the game has changed here and there. But I mean, I think overall it has gotten better over the years. There are more um, prominent female referees climbing the ladder and just the exposure of it has been cool for people to realize that, you know, they, they can be good, uh, you know, officials. Um, They can do well at high levels. um, And they're a good example of that. Um, I, I think, you know, we still hear it, which I don't know how quickly that will change, if it will ever fully, you know, disappear. Um, personally, I remember a couple of years ago, I had to uh, kick out a coach from a state cup event for uh, making a comment about female referees shouldn't officiate men's games. And it was like 15 year old boys. So, I mean, it, it still happens. It's, it's still very much present. Um, I think it, it's, it's one of those things where mentally you have to try to stay tough and, 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 and know your stuff and kind of uh, prove them wrong in a way, essentially. And, you know, just know that you're probably just as good as some of the other people out there. And, you know, comparatively, there's, there's, there's always going to be some referees that are better or not as great as you are, but, you know, owning what you have, I think is just what it comes down to at the end of the day that goes for anything. But yeah, I mean, there's, I think the, the game, especially, uh, you know, a couple of years back, it used to be a bit worse, but I think I I'd like to think at least from the exposure I've seen that it's, it's slowly getting better with just more exposure that other female referees have climbed the ladder and been that leading the way for, for, for some other ones at the lower levels, I think. Well said, well said. Um, one, one thing for Tyler, then I have a follow-up, and then I'll toss it back to Rob for any other question he has. Um, so then, Tyler, just to follow up with, with Michaela's response, just is it is it tough when, you know, you're, you're, you're with Michaela in an officiating group or another female referee, and you hear someone say that, or, you know, because obviously that, that's, your, that's your work buddy. You know, that's the person you take the field with, and, the person you work with a lot on the weekends and several matches in a row. And, you know, how does that, how do you feel when you hear some, someone say that, or, or there's just this kind of um, negative feeling towards female referees? As you'd expect, uh, it's frustrating. It's flat out frustrating. Um, I, I don't put, I don't tolerate it. Uh, whether it's female, male, uh, young, old, it doesn't matter to me. Um, I think it's important that everyone that's playing the game is thankful that there's an official there uh, on their match. Um, that's one of the biggest things. Now, if you are willing or interested in talking with an official in a respectful manner, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Um, but if there's any sort of bias based on uh, the, t- the person they are, uh, compared to their gender or their ethnicity or their age, it's, it's unacceptable. Um, so it's something that is very frustrating uh, to hear from the outside sources about your coworkers. So yeah, there's some insight. Um, and then one last one before I, I'll 
hand it over to Rob again. Um, you know, it, some professional referees have, you know, left the game because of kind of the new buddy system that are amongst refs or, Hey, I know this person, they'll get me into this good match. And, you know, it's not based off, you know, how good of a referee you are. Sometimes it's just who you're buddy buddy with. Um, you know, how do you guys feel about that? Should it be a buddy buddy system? Does it need to be a little bit evened out? Um, you know, is, is it, is it more evened out than we think it is? You know, like, how do you feel about kind of that system and, and getting the matches, you know, sign that you want, you know, obviously, cause you want the big matches, you want the big D one matches and eventually get to the pro game and, and, you know, get there because you're a good referee, not cause you knew someone, but you know, how do you guys feel about that? I don't know too much about what may or may not be going on at that level, uh, to be frank, but I mean, I think, just from what I've experienced, I think that a lot of moving up um, in the referee world, uh, a lot of it is exposure um, and communications um, and connections that you make with other referees. Um, I think keeping in good company does definitely help you get more opportunities, but at the same time, if you don't perform with the opportunities that are given to you, um, that will only go so far. Um, at least that's, you know, something that I've uh, seen from both a personal standpoint and secondhand from other friends and uh, people I know of that officiate, you know, you can, you can be buddy, buddy with whoever, I suppose. But at the end of the day, if you can't perform, it's still only going to take you so far. So I, I don't know, you know, how much that is or isn't present at some other levels or maybe outside of the circle in which I am, what kind of is present. Um, but I think, you know, at least that's that's what I feel things should be. You know, I think you're going to have to make connections and, and make good relationships with people to get to a certain point. But if at the end of the day, if you can't, you know, blow the whistle the way you should or, you know, point the flag in a certain direction, you know, whatever, whatever your route you're taking, if you can't serve the game the way you should, then, uh, you know, you're only going to get so far still. I'm with Michaela on that. Um, kind of like she noted, uh, communication, um, your loyalty to assigners, uh, all of it comes into effect. Uh, a lot of it is your performance on the field. Uh, a great deal of it is, and at the end of the day, really, if you can't if you can't do the work on the field, you aren't going to go anywhere. But there is uh, there is definitely a political side to everything that uh, you need to take into consideration, and you got to be on good standing with a lot of people. Um, and just like anything else in the world, I mean, your your job that you work nine to five, uh, the soccer team that you're playing on, you know, if the coach doesn't like you or the boss doesn't like you. What are you going to do? Uh, and same thing with refereeing. You mentioned assigners, and they're, they're the ones handing out the jobs. Who do assigners uh, report to? Or is that a Michigan setup, or how, how does that uh, hierarchy work? The assigners are given delegation by the league, the league or sets of teams or clubs, depending on however that's worked out uh, within the league. Um, I know certain leagues such as like UWS or um, NPSL, USL, 
all these uh, higher level amateur matches or what people would sometimes call semi-professional. Um, these are assigned by a national assigner, which um, is then um, delegated by U.S. soccer. So each state in uh, the United States has a national assigner, and then that assigner is going to go forward and assign um, those those matches. Um, but if you go down to like regional games, um, usually you will have like a regional assigner that will assign uh, for those leagues. So, for example, like NLC, National League Conference, Regional League, is assigned by a regional a regional assigner. Um, and then if you go down to State Cup uh, in that level, I mean, that's assigned by usually um, certain areas of the state have their own, uh, their own assigner. However, it's usually overseen by like a senior referee administrator that uh, – is is overseeing all that uh fascinating that that's a uh, good insight I, I appreciate that uh, a lot tyler um michaela you touched on it earlier in one of your responses and um it really is a, one of the big reasons why we uh wanted you guys to come on the show with us was uh the referee shortage and uh because i mean it knocked on my doorstep i had to i made my referee debut this spring as a soccer dad of seven-year-olds. Congratulations. That's awesome. That's great. I, uh, I, I did two or, two or three games myself, and I only blew a couple calls. Well done. Mistakes will happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but thankfully everyone uh, was kind. I only sent off one kid, and oh, maybe my, my own, so two. I, I, I wanted to ask, what are the reasons for that, and do they – why why is there such a, a grave shortage that um, there's so many games from uh, qu- quite a variety of levels we're, we're missing refs? Yeah, um, I mean, so so as just a normal standard, um, I don't have specific numbers in my head about how many registered referees there are in the state of Michigan, but um, every year there are people who do not recertify. Um, you know, and that's, that's very typical to see, uh, you know, you have people that decide to try it out, um, and maybe they don't like it. So they just don't recertify again. Um, but one thing that, you know, I think in this overlaps a little bit with one of my answers earlier as well is, um, you know, the culture of the game is, is changing over the years. Um, I think that especially at the youth level, there's more money involved, there's more pressure, things like that. So obviously there there's going to be changes to the environment uh, that occurs as well. Um, and there's some people who just don't, don't want to, to kind of deal with it. Uh, frankly, um, you know, the, the referee abuse that may occur, um, parents, coaches, players, and dissent, things like that. Um, you know, there's lots of people who want to do officiating as just like a little side gig. Um, I mean, most of us are that way, essentially, in terms of it's just extra cash flow and fun. But, you know, some people are really there just to make a couple extra bucks every weekend. Um, And, you know, for them, there's people who say it's not really worth it for them to deal with the the verbal abuse and the, the drama that can sometimes occur from it. Um, I know that this past year they were really hit hard um, with COVID. There was lots of officials that didn't want to kind of 
be out um, doing extra things, so to speak. Um, and they just didn't do it this year when we had mass mandates for refereeing. I, I know there were a couple of people that I knew personally that didn't want to do it because of they would be required to wear a mask while officiating. Um, so, I mean, there's lots of factors. I think that um, this year was a very special year because of COVID, that there were lots of people who did not want to referee at all um, and just take a break. Um, and I know that from a personal standpoint myself, you know, usually I'd only do like three or four games a weekend and I was doing upwards of five or six minimally every weekend because, and that was on top of seeing emails from assigners every Friday, Saturday, Sunday about SOS help, you know, spots needed to be filled. And there were still plenty of games that did not have three officials. I know I was part of a U18 boys, you know, youth premier game that only had me in the middle. And then uh, some, some other referee was on the sideline. And then we had to use a parrot as a club linesman to, to call in and out of bounds. And, you know, it's, it's, it stinks for the kids too, because it's kind of a disservice to the game, you know, you can't call offside from the center of the field and that, it, you know, when there's not another referee running around on the sideline. So it's just unfortunate when you see it, but yeah, I think there were lots of factors that affected this year on top of the normal cycles that you see of people just dropping out because they decide they don't want to do it or, you know, they don't enjoy it as much as they thought they would, or they want to take a break because of life or other circumstances, things like that. Thank you, uh, Michaela. Uh, Brooks, uh, you got one more questions uh, for our, our referee guests. They've uh, shared a, a good chunk of their time. With yeah, us. yeah, no, I appreciate them taking their time. And yeah, I guess my final question, just kind of a fun question for you guys, uh, just kind of you know, it could be a two part, whatever, whichever question you want to answer and respond to, just kind of the best ref you've, you've worked with or, or you enjoy working with, whether it's because they're a jokester or they're professional or, um, you know, they're really good at it or maybe the best crew that you, you like to work with just for both of you. Mine is Michaela. <laughs> She's muted. Oh, oh crap. Sorry. <laughs> wow. I'm not yours. No, no, you are. <laughs> no, I think I think I speak for both of us when I say we both have a really good group of, you know, what I would call ref buddies. Um, you know, we'll we'll hang out with them outside of refereeing as well. Um, and it's always a good time. So you really establish a, a good relationship with some of the people that you see consistently. But I actually had a lot of games with Tyler this spring and it was always a running joke about him, you know showing up a couple minutes before game time because he's running from another Michaela's game. the and best stuff. when it comes to checking in teams. She's the best. <laughs> yeah, so I, I tied up his loose ends for him a couple times. But, no, I mean, you, you make you make good relationships with people over the years. And I I, uh, I always like working oh, with Tyler. Sounds so. <laughs> like Tyler back from, back from the LTU days. Run a little late to practice, huh? <laughs> yeah, I don't think anything's changed. He literally strolls out five minutes before yeah. most day, so can't change. Can't yeah, teach a dog yeah. new old dog new tricks, right? So I told Will, and then he. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys so so much. You guys have shared a ton. I, I I've I've got a million more questions, but but you guys were uh, fantastic tonight. Thank you so much. Um, Really, really gave some insightful answers, and I, I've got uh, a bunch of notes with great stuff uh, from you guys. I'll, I really love the line that uh, you you guys serve the game, and the players are customers. So you're 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 making the game happen. 
and each weekend, especially since since COVID and being back to it, you really uh, appreciate how many different people in so many different lines of work with different perspectives of the game it takes to do the game that we love in in, in a you know. Uh, a, a respectful way and, and, and an exciting way. So thank you so much for what you do. And thank you for, for sharing your candor. Um, you know, there, like you said, there, there's a lot of emotion that goes into it. And, you know, I think everyone's in the world that's watched a game has had a gripe about a, a ref at some point or another. So kudos for, um, for, 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 for doing that to make the game happen. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Thank for you for having us. Fun. Yeah. So we're going to end the show. Uh, we, we've pretty much gone through all of our time because uh, our guests were so captivating tonight. But I would be remiss if I didn't congratulate uh, the high school girls uh, state champions before we go. Um, we have our first champion with North Muskegon. Thanks to Dan sending over the notes to, uh, to, 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 to make note of uh, this accomplishment. And this is North Muskegon's first ever state championship. Uh, five different players accounted for their five goals in the final. Uh, they include Jaylee Schultz, Hope Johnson, Emily Olson, Katie Kinahan, and Audrey Wilson. And Division Four, that result, that final was uh, North Muskegon five, Royal Oak Shrine zero. And then for uh, Division Three, Detroit Country Day three, Boyne City nil. The Yellow Jackets with uh, Callahan Bearden scoring the. Uh, the game winner converting a PK in the 30th minute in Madison. Shelton adding two more goals in the second half. In Division Two, Marion wins the state championship over Spring Lake 3-0. The soccer dynasty continues at Bloomfield Hills Marion High School, who have won four consecutive state championships, 17, 18, 19, and now 21. Freshman Ellie Irvin scored two goals in the state final. Olivia Dikotnik. Uh, tallied the other congratulations there and in division one heartland for troy athens nil this is the first state title for heartland in girls soccer 4-0 over troy julia uh, patilla suffered an ankle injury in the state semifinal left her a game time decision and she was given clearance to take the pitch and proceeded to score a brace maria storm and hannah Castamo also scored for Heartland. So congratulations, Heartland, Marion, Detroit Country Day, and North Muskegon. So I uh, wanted to, to, to introduce, I've been pressing it for uh, pretty much every episode for uh, MSC listeners to send in uh, game reviews and really get your voice in. We like to hear all different perspectives. We've had players, coaches, uh, team owners, team officials, and coaches, now referees. And so now we're getting some of the people out there that aren't recording in their uh, <laughs> their basements, people actually around the ground. So we're going to end the show with three great reviews as part of the MSC network that's building towards the eventual Michigan Soccer Central website, which will truly be the hub for resource uh, of soccer resource information and stories. So thank you to Jenny Hajnaki for editing. Thank you, Dan Katranza, for our music. Thank you, Brooks. Thank you to our guests and Dan for the review of the state championship. Thank you for another week. Enjoy yourself. Hi, I'm Luca Maloney, and I was at Lansing Common FC's two games this past weekend against the Michigan Stars and Livonia City FC. 
On Friday, June 18th, Lansing tied 0-0 in a difficult match against the Stars. Lansing looked like the better team in both halves, but struggled to put away chances. Then on Sunday, Lansing beat Livonia City 2-1 with goals from Shetty Omar and Munir Shirali. Omar scored his fifth goal in the Midwest Premier League, while Shirali scored his first goal for the club. In the end, Lansing finished the weekend with four points and looked to face BIH Grand Rapids on Saturday. Hey there, soccer fans. I'm Mitch Gatsky, and I was down in Cincinnati last Sunday for Oakland County FC's game against Kings Hammer FC. Man, was it hot, 90-plus, and only made worse by the 4 p.m. kickoff. County were forced into a bit of squad rotation due to some injuries and the fact that it was a four-hour road trip on Father's Day. I believe all the players who made the trip saw action as the sweltering conditions brought about many second-half substitutions. Ten minutes in, County found themselves in front, courtesy of another Kevin Buka beauty. He's been top-notch of late, orchestrating the offense from his attacking mid-position. It's been a real treat to watch him. As the first half wore on, though, King's Hammer, their physical nature became increasingly evident. The hosts, in my opinion, were lucky not to have a man sent off for repeated violations, even after an early yellow card. More on that later. Having established their style of play, King's Hammer were able to break through just minutes before the half, sending both teams into the locker room with a goal apiece. The second half quickly settled into more of the same. Lots of rough tackles from both sides who clearly understood the implications this game would have on the table in such a tight playoff race. Another rash challenge by that same Kings Hammer player mentioned earlier drew much ire from the Elmwood Elite and the county bench, but the result was nothing more than yet another warning from the referee. Before things could even settle back down, the hosts grabbed their first lead of the afternoon, making it 2-1 in the 53rd minute. They'd extend that lead to 3-1 20 minutes later, with both sides having fallen into a bit of a lull, visibly drained from the tough battle and the humid conditions. And their work now really cut out for them. County threw men forward in hopes of replicating the type of late comeback that has come to characterize the Great Lakes division of USL 2 this year. They were able to scratch one back, DJ Hooks piping one into the top corner in stoppage time, but the rally came up short and it finished Kings Hammer 3, Oakland County 2. The Lossies County dropped to fourth place in the table, one spot out of the playoffs, and man, it is sure to be a frantic finish with five games in 11 days to close out the league campaign. I'm Jeremy Otto, and this is your Michigan Stars Update. The Stars enter NISA action on Saturday against the Maryland Bobcats, looking for their first win of the spring season since the opener and return home for the first time since a 1-1 draw versus Detroit City. A natural break in the schedule allowed them to refocus as head coach Alex Stremmel placed a big emphasis on defense throughout the last couple weeks. After allowing three goals in the first four minutes of the previous two games, the Stars were able to keep the Bobcats off the board as the contest was tied at zeros heading into halftime. The Bobcats capitalized on some mistakes in the second half as they buried three goals in a row within a 12-minute span, which put them up 3-0 by the 80th minute. 
The Stars were fouled in the box nine minutes later and were awarded a PK that Kyle Newell found the back of the net on. Maryland would hang on to a 3-1 win after three minutes of stoppage time concluded. The Stars will head back on the road to conclude the spring slate on Friday, June 25th as they face Stumptown FC. Then they'll look towards the kickoff of the fall season at home versus Cal United on August 7th. This has been your Michigan Stars Update.